I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Sally Quinn, author of Finding Magic, a spiritual memoir, published by Harper One and on sale wherever books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. In this emotional, inviting, and illuminating memoir, Sally Quinn, journalist, television commentator, and longtime Washington insider, reveals the late-in-life discovery that her entire life could best be understood as a spiritual quest. It would have been nice to have figured it out earlier, and you know, I was on deadline uh, for the book, and I kept thinking, I've got about two months, eight weeks to figure out the meaning of life here. (laughs) I better figure it out. Quinn takes us through the many stages of her spiritual awakening, Summer spent as a child with her Scots Presbyterian family in the South, where she learned voodoo from the household staff, her trials as a hospitalized military child in Japan during the Korean War, her education at 22 different schools, her adventures as a Washington Post reporter, her short tenure as the first female network anchor on the CBS Morning News, and her falling in love with the Post's executive editor, Ben Bradley. She also talks about her caring for a learning disabled son and her keeping vigil during her beloved husband's illness and death. Oddly enough, it it may have been the happiest time of my life and our lives together because we were we loved each other so much during that time and it was a sacred time for me. These varied and intense experiences birthed a fascination with religion that led her to creating the popular website On Faith, an online community for faith and spirituality. Quinn's roller coaster irreverent and candid story provides a surprising lens into what it means to live life full of passion, grace, and love. Throughout this radiant, thoughtful, and startlingly intimate memoir, she brings to light how each of us, if we possess the heart and mind to look for it throughout our lives, can find magic all along the way. So, welcome. Thank you. My first question is, um, what has become clearer to you since you've published this book and started the publicity around it? Well, that's a very interesting question, as, as you've taken my Emerson quote, <coughs> who Emerson used to say when he hadn't seen a friend for a very long time, what has become clear to you since last we met? And um, I think what's been clear to me is that people are more interested in magic than I thought they would be. Um, and I know that um, that HarperCollins and we had had a sort of discussion about whether we should put the word magic in the title or not. And a lot of people thought that they wouldn't because it just sounded too hokey. Um, but the fact is that what I discovered was that, um, and sort of I had this epiphany <clears throat> toward the end of writing the book, is that all religion is magic. And um, because I had a religion website at the Washington Post called On Faith, which I started 11 years ago. And so I began studying religion, and I took a trip around the world to study the great faiths, and I began reading about religion. And and, um, in in the end, it really is all about what you believe. And um, if you you look at any faith or any religion, if you look at uh, the Christianity, um, and the Christians believe that Jesus 
died on the cross and then was resurrected and went to live with God on, on his right hand. And they believe that Christ walked on water and um, they believe in the virgin birth. And, and that's all magic because it's all about what you believe. And uh, Buddhism is magic. Islam, the fact that Muhammad took dictation from God to write the Quran and, and Hinduism and Shintoism, all of these religions all rely on belief and um, and and that in the end you have to suspend belief to be faithful I mean I, one of my favorite lines is that faith is like as is a, a blind man going into a darkened room and trying to find a black cat and finding it you know you find faith you know you you walk to the edge of your belief or rationality and then you take one step further. And, <clears throat> and so um, coming to that conclusion myself, uh, it became clear to me that, that since all religion was magic, um, that we all have some sort of faith, even people who are atheists or agnostics, because everyone sort of believes in magic in some way, that there, there are magical moments in our lives. And I tell in the book many, many different stories that all had some resonated with me or illuminated something or were moments of magic in my life that led up to this. And of course, I didn't really come to it until the end. But, uh, but people seem to grasp that, that um, even no matter whether they're believers or not, that there are magical moments in their lives and, and that they're there for us to find every day. And you say that you're, you're understanding that the quest for meaning and understanding that there's no universal answer to that really came to you when your son Quinn was born. Right. Well, Quinn was born with a hole in his heart, VSD, and uh, he was too sick to have surgery, and so it wasn't until he was three months old that he had uh, open-heart surgery. He was in heart failure all that time, and I lived with him in the in children's hospital while they were trying to get him to gain weight so they could they could do the surgery on him. And, um, you know, this was my first child. I was almost 41 when he was born. He's now 35, by the way, and thriving. Um, but I... I I, you know, my meaning in my life had always, well, I had a wonderful husband who I loved, and I had a great career as a reporter at the Washington Post, and, and I, you know, I had a very exciting life. But when Quinn was born and when I was there in the hospital with him was when I realized what the meaning of my life was, what right. I was here for, and that was to take care of Quinn and to love him. And I basically gave up my career. I mean, I, I did write a few novels in between, but I stopped. I took a leave of absence from the Washington Post and took care of him until he was 16. He was in and out of the hospital a lot of that time and um, then went away to boarding school. But he still, he was very learning disabled. He had a lot of surgeries. He was sick a lot. And um, and I, you know, then my parents got sick. And, yeah. and my father, I, I said I had to take care of my father, and then he died. I was with him when he died. Then my mother had a series of strokes and was paralyzed and had cognitive issues, and I took care of her until she died. I was with her when she died, and then my husband got dementia, and he was diagnosed eight years before he died. We were together 43 years. And it wasn't until about two years before he died that um, it was really so obvious that we had to sort of come out of the closet. Mm -hmm. 
You talk- and tell people. And, and so taking care of Ben that last two years was just an incredible experience for me. And you know, oddly enough, it, it may have been the happiest time of yeah. my life and our lives together because we, were, we loved each other so much during that time. And it was a sacred time for me. And so certainly, again, there was this sense that there was, that was what I was meant to do and, that, and what gives my life meaning clearly to me is taking care of people I love. You talk about when, when you reached the point where your mother had died and your husband was so ill. You talk about her death and how you still felt so much love. And, and there's a passage where you question, you say, where does this abundance of love come from? And you realize that you're successful when you when you have the love that you give it away as fast as you can because it always comes back. Right. And you say that you know that it will be replenished. And just what you said, you know that that's what makes you happy. And yet you, you sort of still wrap that with the question of, you know, where does this love come from? And the, the conclusion is it's just a larger force. And then it's sort of whatever yeah. belief you put against that larger force. Right, right. Well, I, I, it, was, it was amazing to me, start, certainly starting with Quinn and then my parents and my mother and Ben, is that because of taking care of them, I was giving every bit of love I had to them, all of them. Um, and And... But there was so much more there. It just kept coming back at me and coming back at me. And I, so I, as you say, I did realize that the more you give it away, the more, ba- more you get back. And, um, you know, I ultimately, I, I have decided, and I say this at the end of the book, that what is the most important thing that we have in our lives is love. And, um, and you know, when Ben died, I was more in love with him that day he died than I had ever been in love with him before. And I, there was a, a study at Harvard called the Grant Study. My husband was a member of it with Jack Kennedy, where they took these young Harvard boys and they studied them throughout their lives. Mm. They answered a questionnaire mm. every year. And uh, most of them are dead now. But the guy who did the questionnaires, George Valiant, wrote a book. And his conclusion was, after having studied all these men, all these you know, 80, 90 years, his conclusion was that there's only one thing that matters in life and that contributes to our happiness, and that is love, full stop. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I think that, um, that that is what has been the most important thing to me and the most important lesson I've learned in my life, and that loving is magic, and magic is love. And you talk about... You, there is a, there's also a passage where you sort of acknowledge that you know you have come to you, your life is one of privilege that you, and you you acknowledge that and you say so you know I'm not trying it, nowhere in the book do you say this is I'm trying to tell people how to live their lives mm-hmm. I'm just really illuminating my own life and you say you know that you believe that anyone can find this magic and that it's really accessible to to anyone. So talk to us, because I, I would guess that that's, that's a certain level of um, sort of questioning that people would have around your personal story is that, oh, you know, maybe that's easy for you to say because you've, you know, you've had a certain level of wealth or whatever. I would guess that you've run into that sort of comments. Well, you know, there are all these happiness books, you know, right. how to find happiness. And, you know, it's like... 
you know, buy a second car and have a house in the Hamptons and, you know, make sure you have a massage once a week and, you know, go to the hairdresser and, and, you know, have your guru come and meditate with your guru. And, and it's, it's all very privileged. And I, and I am so aware of that when I read these things, oh, well, this is how you, you know, eat, you know, eat three meals a day, get 10 hours of sleep a night, work out with your trainer, um, and and that's all great, but most of the people in this world don't have that option. And you know, I I have this vivid image in my mind of this woman in Somalia when the warriors were sort of coming, all these refugees, and she was holding her baby in her arms. And these guys came in on horseback around a campfire, and one of them took a spear and speared her child and sort of held him up on the spear, this live baby, and then threw the baby into the fire in front of her. And I kept thinking, um, so you tell this woman that happiness can be found by having a massage once a week? I mean, (laughs) it just sounded so fatuous and and so um, unrealistic and and pretentious. And so what I'm talking about is when I talk about magic and people can find happiness, I'm talking about, it's, it's really interesting to me how somehow the people who are the least, um, the least of these, as Jesus would call them, but, but the least privileged people often are the most religious Mm -hmm. and often find things in their lives to keep them going. I mean, why would anybody who went through that even want to live? Well, there's something there that keeps them alive and keeps them going. And it is a sort of this ability to find magic, even if you look up at the stars at night and you see the the stars shining and you believe that Mm -hmm. there's somebody there who cares about you or or you you see a beautiful flower or or a sunset or or you feel the love of a child or, or someone else. Um, and, and those moments, um, people do find happiness and, and people do find meaning and, and they find magic. So tell us, well, you don't do it in the book, but I'm going to ask you now, to, your advice on how to sort of recognize synchronicity and how, and sort you know, because I do think, and you do talk about this a lot, about people neglecting to notice magic or neglecting to notice synchronicities and 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 you talk about you you're having done that yourself and 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 I I when I was reading the book most of the folded over pages are towards the end when you look back and you admit you know gosh I really wish I'd figured this out earlier yeah but it would have been it would it would have been nice to have figured it out (laughs) earlier and you know I was on deadline uh for the book and I kept thinking I've got about two months eight weeks to figure out the meaning of life here (laughs) (laughs) better figure it out um so that's true and and but synchronicity i've always believed in that which is also coincidence it's the same but i i you know in some way i don't believe there any such thing as coincidence i think that things actually happen because they're meant to happen and um I, i had a friend the other day who had made me a pair of earrings she's a a designer and she made me a pair of earrings with stars to go with my star blouse uh, for my book tour because I'm in my astro couture mode and um, <laughs> she dropped them off and left the house and she said the car in front of her and she she wants to do a jewelry collection on magic and she said the car in front of her 
uh, the license plate said magic. Wow. And she said, I took it as a sign, yeah. you know. I mean, well, was that a coincidence? Was that synchronicity? I, I, my husband, the week or so, a week and a half before he died, um, everybody wanted to come and say goodbye. And Ben didn't really realize he was dying, um, I don't think. But he was so happy to have everybody come. But I was exhausted yeah. because he was up all night long, yeah. and I, you know, and I was trying to entertain them because he had a hard time keeping conversation going, and and feeding them drinks and food and you know all this. And I finally thought I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to have to cut it off. And and Ben was getting tired too, and he was really slowing down. So I said, that's it. I'm not doing any more. And then the next day the phone rang and this woman said, my name is Ev Small. And it was somebody who had worked with Ben at the Post. I didn't know her at all. I mean, I'd met her. But Ben knew her quite well. She'd worked for Mrs. Graham actually on her book, Catherine mm -hmm. Graham's book. Oh, yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. A Personal History. And, and so uh, she said, I have a picture of Ben and Mrs. Graham I want to drop off and, and just say hi to Ben. And you know, I started to say no, and then I thought, I said yes. And I put the phone down, and I thought, why did I say yes? That's crazy. I can't do this anymore. But anyway, she showed up, and it was at 7 o'clock at night. She brought the picture. Ben was thrilled to see her. We had a drink. You know, we he laughed. He was just, and she told old Kay Graham stories. It was wonderful. And I looked at her and I said, by the way, you know, I've signed this book contract two years ago and I haven't been able to work on it. Would you be interested in working with me on my book? And I thought that was a little presumptuous since she had done Kay's book and Kay's book won a Pulitzer Prize. But, <laughs> and then she said, I don't think so because, you know, I've been working, I worked on somebody else's and now it's time for me to do something on my own. And then about a week after Ben's funeral, she called me up and she said, I've just been thinking about this and I'm... I'd love to come by and talk to you. So she came over on a Tuesday, and we talked from 11 to 1. And that was the beginning of Tuesdays with Sally, um, where she came every Tuesday for two years, and then and then toward the end, you know, every day, and worked with me on the book and helped me shape the book. And she's a researcher, a brilliant researcher, and she's also a, a poet, and, and uh, she has a uh, degree in library science, a PhD, and... And she really helped me pull it together because I was such a basket case after Ben yeah. died, you know. And there were many, I mean, she was sort of like a shrink and a grief counselor and a teacher and a wise woman and an editor and a researcher. And, and there were times when I just would sit there and cry for two hours. I just couldn't function. But she pulled me through it. And I kept thinking, that was not a coincidence. Mm. Why did I tell her to come over after I had absolutely determined that I would not see anybody else? So that's what I talk about synchronicity is that kind of thing that happens where you um, where you're expecting one thing and then something else happens. And I, so I believe in that, and I think it happens for a reason. So one thing that I do as I sort of adapt the Proust um, questionnaire, and I change it to to asking you about um, questions around you as a writer. So um, let me start with, what do you think is your most marked characteristic as a writer? I think authenticity. I, I think that I try to be as honest and candid and real as I possibly can. And to what faults do you feel most indulgent as a writer? To me as a writer? 
Well, I write too long. I write too much. Um, I mean, that's always a joke among my editors. Really? Yeah, especially writing for newspapers, and especially these days. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, I would say, okay, what's how, what's the length of the story? And they'll say sixty inches. I say, can I have eighty? You know, then I would turn in one hundred and twenty inches, and then we would start negotiating about how much to cut it back. But that is definitely a fault of mine. Uh, what do you most dislike as a writer? As a writer, about writing myself or about other people? Either writing? one. Um, there's really uh, what I I love writing. I love the process you do? of writing. I've never heard that. I love it. <laughs> uh, to me, there's nothing more exciting than sitting down. There's and nothing writing. more exciting than writing. Oh I my love gosh! It. What I don't like is I don't like editing and proofreading and researching. I mean, I don't like the sort of, oh, my God, did I have to go back and check on the spelling of this and everything. I just like letting it all right out. And um, so I'm, I'm afraid that that part of it is boring to me. That's so interesting. And so has it been your experience that you, you, you can trust that others will sort of well, I do it, you know. You do I it, just, yeah, but that's I hate it. it. Yeah, hate but it. I, I mean, I, I have always been lucky to have good editors. And um, and with a work like this, very often, you know, authors will have their first readers. Who was your first reader on this book? Well, of course, Ab, uh, yeah. you know, Small was reading it as we went. Um, I had uh, my friend Leslie Marshall, mm-hmm. um, who was, was a, actually started out as an editor at the Washington Post and then went on to write for... She helped start Oprah Magazine and, and wrote for InStyle and um, And you would send her chunks. And, and, um, and she's written a brilliant novel and has just finished another one. And, and, and she's just a great writer and she's a fantastic editor. So she read it and, um, and that was very, very helpful. And John Meacham, oh, yeah. who was the religion editor of Newsweek, who was my co-moderator in On Faith, um, and... <clears throat> He the book is dedicated to John, and he read it. And so those were the two readers I yeah. had that were most important. What is your motto as a writer? Uh, my motto as a writer is, I think, again, it comes back to authenticity. It's really to tell the truth, even if you're writing fiction, because I've written two novels mm-hmm. and three nonfiction books, and... Um, and I'm now writing another another novel. Now I started another novel, um, <clears throat> but I I have to say that um, it probably would be uh, write anything as long as it's not boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> please, please, please don't ever say that I'm boring. No, I would never say that. What is the last book that you had a conversation about, and and what did you say? Um, the last book I had a conversation about, um, well, you know, so many of my friends, um, write books and, and write novels. And so obviously I read their books Mm -hmm. and, and have conversations about them, but I'm, I'm working on a, um, the novel I'm working on is about, um, uh, a man, it's actually an Irish priest and he is a Yates scholar. And um, so I've actually been reading a lot of Yeats and, okay. and reading about Yeats. And I found this person in Washington who's a Yeats scholar. Oh, so we, we've been having these wonderful conversations about Yeats. 
See, now that sounds like you might be enjoying the research. Oh, I love this. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, when I talk about research, I mean looking up what the date is. Oh, yeah, and, no. You know, and okay. the timeline and the spelling and who, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, no, this, no, oh, I'm just thrilled about this. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. Well, we look, we would look forward to that as well. And thank you so much for spending the time with us. And thank you for finding magic. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Sally Quinn, author of Finding Magic, a spiritual memoir published by Harper One. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, there's more like it each week from Harper Audio Presents.